welcome to the Preston Minster podcast. We want you to find your home, find your purpose and transform your city. Well, I want to talk to you guys today about the song of the season. I wonder what song you're singing at the moment. Are you one of those people who gets songs stuck inside your head? Hands up if you are. If you're one of those people who, yeah, just randomly you get songs stuck inside your head. I'm one of those people. Often it can be quite random. Sometimes a different circumstance or you're in a certain place or somebody talks to you about a certain thing, all of a sudden it triggers something in your your mind that gets you singing a a song, perhaps one you've not heard for ages. Anybody have like maybe just a few songs that they tend to come back to regularly? You always seem to be in your heads for like years on end. Anybody have those songs? There's a few people, not so many. You just kind of have some songs that you just get stuck in your, in your head. Singing is, is powerful. And it's great, actually, that we can gather in this context and sing out loud. It's not something people do generally in the general population, but singing is a powerful thing. It connects the emotions in a way that simple words can't. And as we journey through this series, we're going to see, as we come to the end of this series, the people of God expressing themselves through sung worship, a song that they sing to God. Some of my favorite sort of singing is at sports games. And prior to becoming a Christian when I was 18 years old, the only context I would have ever really sung in was going to watch rugby or football or something like that. And I love the banter that you get with sports games. You know, the away, the away team may come to your home ground all buoyant and expectant that they're going to, you know, upset the home crowd and catch a victory or whatever. And then you know, they're, they're, they're sort of enthusiastic. And then they go one down. You know, they've been singing until that point. They've been singing, and then they go one down. And then you start singing. You're not singing anymore. You're not singing any, you know, all of that banter. Absolutely brilliant. Or, you know, they're, they're perhaps enthusiastic at the beginning. They're singing. And then they get to the end of the game. There are a couple of goals down. You start to see people sneaking out. And, you know, you know the song. We can see you sneaking out. All that, you know, football songs. They're so simple, yet so powerful and so effective. That's not the topic of today's talk. But football for many, of, for many people out, outside like general church world is the only context that people sing. And the, the sort of best time to sing at a sports game is when you're winning, like if there's a particular winner, we know Chelsea, if there's any Chelsea fans in the house today, we know that they won the, the game that meant they won a, a cup last night. So they are the champions. And uh, no doubt people will be outside Stamford Bridge today singing and cheering. You cannot stop them, even though it's COVID. Some teams have got into trouble, haven't they, over the COVID period? Liverpool, Rangers, try as they might to suppress the victory cry of a football team that has won a cup, a league, a tournament, a championship. You can't stop them. They will be on the streets singing their victory song. Victory is a thing 
that elicits a song of a song of joy, a song of victory. And as we look to this passage today, we see the people of God doing just that. They've seen God win a massive victory on their behalf and they sing a song of praise. And as Christians, that is our song. We are a people who sing a song of victory. And that's not to say that it's always easy. For many of us over this past season, this last sort of 18 months, it has been a particularly difficult season. And the, the song of victory that we sing, it's not, it's not just a positive, glossy, everything's awesome, to think another song that gets stuck inside your head. If you've seen the Lego movie, you know, everything is awesome. But it's not just, it's not a glossy song that we sing. It's often a raw and gritty song of praise that we offer to our victorious God. But wherever we are at, the reality is our song is a song of victory. The people of God, uh, to bring you up to speed, have been rescued from Egypt. In Egypt, they were captive. They were enslaved by the Egyptians. They were the property of the Egyptians. They'd been crying out to the Lord and the Lord rescued them. He took them out of slavery. He brought them out of Egypt. He took them through the desert around the long way and they have just been like torn in two. You know, they at times, many times, have wanted to go back to Egypt. They've wanted to go back to their captivity because it's familiar and safe even though it was, even though it was really, really hard for them. But God has journeyed with them to the Red Sea. He's opened the water, a curtain of water either side of them, and they walk through on dry ground. He's defeated their enemies. And we pick up the story today as God's people are on the other side of the Red Sea. So it's, it's not over, but a significant victory has taken place. The people of God are on the other side. And in Exodus chapter 15... They sing. They sing their victory song. And this is what they sing. I'm just going to read part of it today. Um, it says, and you've got to imagine them, this just in terms of the scene, you know, they've, they've literally been fearful for their lives. They've made it to the other side by the skin of their teeth. The remnants of the Egyptian army that they were fleeing for are still kind of in the water. They're on, and the relief they must feel as they get to that other side of the sea. And this is exactly uh, what it says from the text. Exodus 15. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. And it says this, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. 
In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. We'll stop there. But this song goes on for kind of 16 verses. 16 verses telling the story of how God had rescued his people. That's a victory song. That is what a victory song looks like. And if that's what a victory song looks like, what can we learn from this passage? What can we learn from this song of victory? Well, two things I want to draw out today. The first thing to notice is that the Israelites, the people of God, they sing of all that the Lord has done. They sing in, in kind of poetical language, in, in, in terms of what God has actually done. And it's so relevant to them. It's so kind of present to them because they've just literally been delivered. They've been rescued from the hands of the Egyptians. They have got through that Red Sea and the waters have closed back on the Egyptians and the relief that they feel, but the joy that they've just seen this undeniable, amazing um, miracle that God has performed means they just respond in worship. And in many ways, that's understandable. Of course, they've just been delivered. That song of joy, that song of worship is their natural response. But what I find interesting about this song and this story is that they so often come back to it time and time again. It gives them fresh hope even when the story's long past. Even though it's something that's in their history, they go back to this moment again and again and again in order to inspire them to move forward in, uh, in, in hope. And the thing is this, the thing to remember is this, that remembering past victories propels us towards today's victories. Remembering past victories propels us towards today's victories. We, as believers, as followers of Jesus, are a people of remembrance. Not nostalgia, but remembrance. There's a very important but subtle difference. Nostalgia gets us to kind of look at the past with rose-colored spectacles, to kind of imagine that our version of the past it was, was, was brilliant and everything was fine. And if we could only recreate the past or go back to the past, everything would be great. We're not people of nostalgia. Sometimes churches can be guilty of being places of nostalgia. We're in a place where there's plaques around and family crests of the people who built this, this church uh, commemorating all the things that have gone before us. Um, it's a, it's a pl- pl- churches are often places that can kind of foster a sometimes unhealthy sense of nostalgia. We're not people of nostalgia. We're people of remembrance. Weekly, we gather round um, together to remember the mighty acts of God. We remember what God has done in the past in order that we can find hope for, for the now and for the future. You see, the thing is, if we don't choose to remember, time is like an eraser and it erases our memory of what God has done. We forget. We are a forgetful people. If you're familiar with with the sort of grand narrative of the Bible, it is the story of the forgetful people of God. You know, God rescues them in different ways and then they enjoy a season of freedom 
But then they forget, and then they go off their own way and follow their own sort of passions and desires or the gods of other nations, and then they cry out to the Lord, and then God rescues them. And that pattern goes on and on and on. They kind of, God rescues them, they enjoy a season of rest, and then they run, and then they repent, and then God rescues them, and then they forget, and then they kind of, they run off. And it goes on and on and on like that. And um, we can sometimes look at them and be a little bit proud, but that's you and me. We do the same thing. God shows up in a powerful way. And then we enjoy a season of like, oh yeah, it's amazing. God's come through. The victory song is here. And then time goes by and we forget. And we run off after different things, following our own path or following the path that others have set for us. And then we come back and so on. And it goes on and on and on. There's something in us that forgets the goodness of God. There's something in us that needs to be reminded of what God has done for us in the past. I love the song Amazing Grace. You'll all know it. But it's a song that does just that. It's a song that looks back at everything that God has done in this individual's life. You'll, you'll know the words, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I've seen. It's got great turns of phrases, great words, like how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. It's a beautiful song that retells the work of God in an individual's lives. John Newton, the chap who wrote the song, was a slave trader for most of his life. He didn't follow the Lord but he turned to the Lord in a, in a powerful way and he writes this song that just remembers everything that God has done in his life. And I, re I remember, and you'll remember, I remember incidences like when I was 18 years old and I was lying down on my bed looking up at an Artex ceiling at 11 o'clock at night on a sort of uh, regular Wednesday evening in sort of 2004 in March 2004, and just saying a simple prayer. God, if you're real, come into my life. I remember that. And I go back to it often, not in a nostalgic way, but in a way to propel me forward into all that today holds. I remember a few weeks later being sat down watching something uh, on, on TV by a guy called Josh McDowell. He wrote a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict, and I read it. Oh, no, sorry, I didn't read it, actually. I watched a talk based on the book. That was where my life was at at that time, not reading very much. Um, but I remember watching that and him presenting the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. And I remember my heart burning within me because for the first time, I really, really believed that it was true. Not just the feeling I'd experienced, that was powerful, but... The, the facts, kind of, the evidence for the person of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. And my heart just burning within me, being like, wow, it's flipping true. It's amazing. I remember being at Soul Survivor 2014 and lifting my hands in worship for the first time. And just that liberating sense of being able to praise God. I remember more recent things of us. A group of us who planted Preston Minster just sat right here on the floor, surrounded by 
builders' materials and tools about five days before the launch, just literally saying, flip. We're about to embark upon something and we have no idea how it's going to go. And just praying and worshiping. We had a real powerful time of worship that evening. Just handing it all over to God and saying, look, God, have your way. Have your way. I remember last year being in the cafe as a team with Rachel Gardner standing up and giving a prophetic word about the storehouses of heaven being opened. And we had no idea what was coming. And then COVID hit, of course, and love your neighbor. And this, this place was turned into a storehouse, a storehouse of heaven. But that word made no, no sense in the, in the moment. And it's going back to these events, remembering the mighty work of God. Not for the sake of nostalgia, for the sake of heading into today. Knowing that he's been faithful in the past, he'll be faithful today and be faithful in the future. And you've got your remembrances, the hour that you first believed, the addictions that you've overcome, the story of your life that God has and is weaving together, perhaps that relationship that you were stuck in and you had no idea how you'd get out of it. Perhaps believing that there was a job for you, that job you wanted, you put in an application, you never thought you'd get it, but God showed up and you got it. Or perhaps just the hour that you first believed. We all have our remembrances. And it's as we look back that we're encouraged to head into today. So as the people of God sing, that's what they do. They, they look back. They say, you've, th you've thrown the enemies into the sea. You've overcome. You've rescued us. You've delivered us. They sing of all that God has done. Secondly, they sing for who God is. Verses two and three, it says, the Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. And here's the thing. What God does flows from who he is. This is true of all relationships. If you're working with someone who's a particular like procrastinator, they're likely to kind of, I don't know, get, get their work into you on time, uh, not on time. Or if you're working with somebody who's a real creative, you might ask them to do something and they'll come back, they'll do it in a real creative way. If you're working with somebody who's like incredibly uh, punctual, they will like be there on time and they will have the project done on time or whatever. If you're relating to people who they, the work that they do flows from who they are. And it's the same with the Lord. What he does flows from who he is. He's good. He's faithful. He's kind. And I love how the people of God in this song of victory, in their victory song, they begin to speak out the truth of who God is. We see it, don't we, in these couple of verses. They say, God, you're our strength. You're our defense. You're our salvation. You are our God. You're a warrior. You're my God. They recount what he's done, but they know that he's, he's done what he's done because of who he is. Because of his character 
and his nature. And here's the thing, when our, when our vision of who he is, our depth of understanding of who he is grows, our problems shrink. It's a perspective thing. When we have a bigger version of who God is, our problems are put into their proper perspective. And I just encourage you to be someone who just tells God who he is, just speaks out the truth of his character and his nature. That's not always an easy thing to do. Sometimes you could be going through some really difficult times, but just speaking of who God is, of his nature, of all that he does, just sets the perspective in order, doesn't it? As your vision of God grows, your problems are put into their proper perspective. So as we come into land, I'd just love for us to dwell on that, for us to really, for ourselves, retell the work of God in our lives. Because I really believe that there is a song that we're all singing. We get songs stuck inside our heads. We also get kind of narratives, narrative songs inside our head. And what I want you to know today is that your song is a song of victory. Jesus has overcome the world. You are more than a conqueror. The Son of God loves you and died for you. Your song is not one of defeat or de depression or de despair. Your song is a song of freedom, a song of victory. And sometimes it's easy to sing and sometimes it's harder to sing. It's going to invite the, the band to, to come up. We're going to move back into a, uh, a time of responding. But I, and I just really encourage you as we head into this time of response, just to really be listening to what God would say to you in this moment. Just remembering all that he's done for you in the past. Just remembering his faithfulness and his steadfast nature, which is never failing, never giving up. He is good and our song is a song of victory. Thank you so much for listening to the Preston Minster podcast. We'll see you again soon.